Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Noise Nostalgia Podcast. Each week, my esteemed pal, Age Alex Rhodes, in no Brexit umbra, but his classic 1966 England shirt, and I, Jake Doyle, in Amsterdam Arena, hop into our time machine to the 2000s to like some footballing moments of the time to pick the bones of. 18 years ago today, Peter Reid was sacked as Sunderland manager, so we'll be talking about that. But first, we've got to talk about a winker. Yeah. Take you back to uh, World Cup 2006. Again, another little England special from me and Cristiano Ronaldo's famous winking moment um, involving Wayne Rooney. First and foremost, it's a red card, in it? Oh, yeah, Let's get time, yeah, out the way about, time, yeah. about the wink and all that surrounds it. At the centre of it, there's a red card offence. Wayne Rooney trying to disguise a stamp on uh, Ricardo Carvalho's meeting two veg, which, especially by today's video-assisted world, would definitely be a red card. Oh, yeah. um, and then, obviously, the story is Ronaldo runs over, um, as the ball's dead, does the whole, give him a red card to the ref, little in the, re- in the ref's face. Waza pushes him a little bit, tells him to fuck off. Um, but yeah, it's a red card for Rooney and obviously given those actions and then Ronaldo winking at the Portugal bench afterwards, people put two and two together and yeah, he could have been winking because he got Rooney sent off, but ultimately it was probably always going to get sent off. But yeah, the hysteria surrounds it and I think it's a storm in a teacup really at the time. England fans were ready to jump straight into that teacup because Ronaldo already fitted the mould of someone to hit. Man United player and a flash winger who who goes down pretty easily, or did in them days anyway, when he was a bit skinnier. Um, So obviously Premier League, been there for a couple of seasons and built that reputation. So if we hang up effigies of David Beckham after France 98, 
you could be sure that the country hated Ronaldo after this moment. So, oh, it's yeah. it's a strange one because yeah, like there are a lot of similarities between this and '98, but there was no hatred for Simeone in 1998, although. It's quite clearly what's been what's happened. What happened there was it was five minutes, five or six minutes after half time. Simeone's just gone through the back room to provoke a reaction. Ronaldo probably didn't do as much to Rooney. I mean, he, it, it was a red card mm. offence. I'm not sure if he was going to send him off or not, but it, it was it was the just decision really to send him off because yeah. he, he, he yeah. stamped on a player's balls. So mm. I mean, it's a stamp. It's a red card, but. There wasn't. There was. I don't think there's too much hate for for Rooney. In the there wasn't it was compared to Beckham because Rooney never got the you know the front page treatment. The you know delving into his personal life. At, well, by this point anyway. Um, yeah, and I wonder if like Ronaldo saved him from that a little bit because it, say it happens and you're debating there if it's red or not if Ronaldo doesn't get involved. But say Ronaldo stays completely out of it. And Rooney gets sent off, and then that will go down as Wayne Rooney, um, England's golden boy, as Sven described him, getting himself sent off in a massive game by doing something really stupid. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. Really different situation, really. David Beckham's wasn't a red card anyway for me, but you know, that we're not talking about that today. But they did um, Alan Shearer in the post-match. just retired yeah, and he was, yeah. he's on match a day saying he's gonna Rooney was gonna stitch yeah. him one on in training, but they actually, to everyone's surprise, the um, they fixed things up. Uh, I don't think there was much um, fixing to do because I'm, I'm sure Wayne no. Rooney would have done the exact same thing and exactly. if the revolves, exactly. roles were reversed. And really, it w- wouldn't have made much a difference to England anyway because probably not. You know, they had Owen injured, and Rooney was now suspended for for the uh, semi final against what would have been France. So yeah. you're never gonna. But they, I think if they if um, they definitely patched things over by the first game because I, I'm sure I remember them thrashing Fulham like five one or five two or something the first yeah. game back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. Pretty the season it rather forgotten. Combined, and they were there hugging and stuff, and then obviously. After that, they had three years together at United, three leagues, Champions League, League Cup, Club World Cup, and yeah, pretty much dominated the world. So they yeah. quite clearly. Though obviously, there's that gif of, uh, <laughs> I don't think they're doing yoga stretches, um, and Rooney looks like he's got a lob on, and Ronaldo just looks at it and just goes, <laughs> oh no. Uh, yeah. well, I think that, that was yeah. about the closest they got to uh, ever falling out, really. <laughs> but yeah. It would have made much of a difference for England anyway, but like, because like I said, we'd have had Peter Crouch and I can't remember who our fourth attacker was uh, that we took. I fear Walcott, so we had Crouch and yeah. Walcott. Walcott, who barely played a minute of professional no, football, didn't. and Crouch, who, despite scoring against Trinidad and Tobago, wasn't that great at that, this tournament, I don't think. Um, is this the yeah. most optimistic you've ever been about an England team going into a World Cup? Um. I would say it's a difficult one because at that time, obviously, younger, more optimistic in myself and kind of definitely had that opinion of blind optimism. Whereas now, still going to World Cups thinking, yeah, we can win them. 
but it's more measured sort of expectations. Whereas in them days, it's like, of course, England are going to flip him, wouldn't it? <laughs> Obviously, prime golden generation years are just at the back of it, really. Yeah. And I think what people forget, and we've mentioned them a couple of times now, obviously the 11 that the golden generation gave England for three tournaments was brilliant, but the backups weren't that brilliant at all, really. Stuart Downing, I remember, and, against Paraguay. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. for the whole of the noise, we still took Emil Heskey to tournaments, who has no disrespect to Emil Heskey, we've got more more exciting forwards at those times, you know. But, yeah. Yeah, so it lacked depth when I think really going into the tournaments, uh, the World Cups recently, I probably had more optimism, even 2010, arguably, because of because of that bit more depth. Um, but yeah, definitely in recent years, I've been more optimistic. But putting myself back at that age probably were blind excitement optimism yeah, yeah. 2006 was the peak for me 2006 i was like yeah it's we've kept the same team for the past well 2002 is a bit different because there was no gerard no neville no lampard no terry etc uh but 2004 we pretty much had the same team i, was, I think the only difference was the goalkeeper which changed from david james to paul robinson yeah. and there wasn't much difference between them anyway that was the only weakness really for england at Big that weakness. time um, I think my f- sort of optimism died in South Africa with the yeah uh, the, the shambles, wasn't it really? Yeah, but I yeah. think um, the that the the underperformance at that World Cup started at this World Cup because Sven's um, philosophy going into it that he could have all the wives and girlfriends <laughs> round, and it was uh, pretty much a media yeah. circus. Because I remember every single time. Ashley Cole or David Beckham got on the ball against Ecuador, I think it was. I think, well, David Beckham scored against Ecuador. Yeah. And they'd show, they'd pan across to like Colleen, Victoria Beckham, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cheryl Cole at the time. The little um, wax box. So it was like, it was pretty much Sven just thought, Sven's a bit of a player by anyway, isn't he? so he probably was loving it, probably. So he'd slam them all into some random, you know, village in Germany. And then Capella did the exact opposite for. 2010 and literally just locked them up in some resort yeah. and told them yeah. they couldn't leave. I, I've heard a lot of uh, players from that tournament, so like Michael Carrick and James Milner saying they were bored out of their minds and wanted to come home. And, you know, these are professional footballers who've... Yeah. But like going back to the optimism thing, I was more optimistic than Euro 2004 because they'd had a couple more years under the belt, like Gerard and Lampard yeah. had the best yeah. midfield in the world, world football. They'd come second and third in the Ballon d'Or. They've had a bit more experience in Champions League, Lampard especially, Gerard, you know, winning the thing in 2005. United were getting back to that. They would get to the final four in the next three seasons with Ronaldo. So it was probably around this time where I was most optimistic because we had... Yeah. They even started to play Owen Hargreaves, probably more out of necessity than, you know, than actually wanting to because... Owen got injured against Sweden, so they played 4-1, 4-1 yeah, against yeah. Portugal. And then I think they played it against Ecuador as well. Yeah. I but think... Yeah, it's yeah. from here. From a nostalgic point of view, I think it's, it ranks high on the nostalgia factor this moment for me. Like, it's just... We talked about it before, those 
Red Hot Summers, that same tour company, Euro 2004 and the World Cup in 06. Mm. Having a door wide open at home because there's no air conditioning in England. Um, having those, do you remember them big icebox called Monster Icebox? No, but I remember it was around this Mr. time. Richard. It was around this time they had um, those Calippo shots and they were like, Oh, yeah, those were they were like, too. like yeah, about, yeah. about this shape, the shape of the microphone, and they were just absolutely class. Um, yeah. The best, in terms of the, um, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but in terms of that um, warm summer, you know, every day is like amazing thing. I tend to think more about 2018. I think maybe because yeah. it, it didn't rain for three months, which was just insane. And yeah. we were playing good football and we got to the semi-finals. So back then's probably, obviously now we've got this bit more, thought put into everything like we've obviously won a penalty shootout now so the optimism now should be at an all-time high i mean the True. the talent of players we've got i mean the midfield maybe isn't as exciting well isn't as you know not as deep as what it was back then but the rest of it is class i mean how many right backs you could fill a full 11 with the amount of right backs that england have got that could actually just play yeah. at european championships tomorrow if they started so Oh, yeah, I'm time. excited for the future more than, you know, there was a, that, the Hodgson years, you know, which, yeah. <laughs> and Capello I was excited for, but, you know, that obviously died instantly. Um, Allardyce, probably best leaving that. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, the last days of Sven. This is Sven's last England match, wasn't it, before Steve McLaren yeah. took over your favourite England manager. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, Steve McLaren, the idea was rare, but this was yeah, probably definitely. when my optimism sort of went on a sharp decline because it was Portugal again knocking us out. Obviously, Portugal would then win on penalties 3-1. Ronaldo scoring the winning penalty. And I think even if Rooney was on the penalty shootout, I would have still lost the penalty shootout. Probably. It just had that feeling about it. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't as... I think we came a lot closer in 2004 because of the opponents afterwards. I mean, we'd have, we'd have got beat off France. You know, Zinedine Zidane was like... <sighs> having yeah. the tournament of his life, you know. Um, well, I know for Rooney obviously gets injured and he's yeah, kind yeah. of a driving force of the team. At such he a was. As well, he was. But yeah, so another England classic from me, obviously. <laughs> Take another back England to those, disappointment. Those childhood days of massive ice pops that probably had so much sugar in your car to sell them these days, but <laughs> good times. Good times. And now, like you say, we've got like a more... Well, a better England team and a better system and a better setup entirely. Um, yeah. And it's probably a good thing we don't have the huge stars that we do because it kind of lowers the expectation a little bit and just kind of takes a little bit of attention away and doesn't have, like I say, those, those lofty, unrealistic expectations that the golden generation had to deal with, really. So, yeah. I've noticed a lot... Um... In the, especially this year, that a lot of people have been quicker to criticise Gareth Southgate. So maybe that is lowering the expectations, tempering them ahead of the tournament next summer, which um, obviously the final's in at Wembley. So hopefully yeah. that'll be an England player holding that trophy aloft. <laughs> so, Again, yeah. the optimism's returned. But we'll be sticking with England in our second moment of the day after this. The Not Is Nostalgia podcast is sponsored by the Teammates app, a football quiz like no other. 
climb the divisions, win the league, win the cups, all by linking 11 players by association. Whether you're old or you're young, Teammates has both a modern and a vintage mode to suit your skill set. It's Teammates, look for the red and white ball on the App Store. Oh, and I've heard they've got some shirts coming out and there's some more quizzes coming out online too, but keep that under your hat. And 18 years ago today, Peter Reid was sacked as Sunderland manager. Sunderland, who hadn't been in the top flight for quite some time, and Peter Reid was one of the longest tenured managers in the Football League and would then get them promoted in 1999. He joined the club in 1995, got them out of Division 1. The um, the Charlton playoff final uh, defeat, the 4-4 and the penalty shootout, was, is still legendary. And then the 105 points they got promoted with, obviously. Who did Sunderland get promoted with to the Premier League, Alex? Uh, Bradford. Yeah, yeah, thought you might get that one. <laughs> so you got Niall Quinn, Kevin Phillips, big man, little man to the extreme. Kevin Phillips, you get 30 in a season. Peter Reid took them to seventh place and then another seventh place. And then Niall Quinn had left and they almost suffered relegation. So the big hole left by Niall Quinn. He tried to fill it. He signed... Sorry, Andre Flo didn't work. Signed Marcus Stewart, Huddersfield Town legend, didn't work. And then he had seven points from the first nine games in the 2002-03 season. And he was gone. Peter Reid, he had an interview with Andy Keys, Andy Keys, Andy Gray and Richard Keys, <laughs> and stated um, that the board put an extra 5,000 seats in, which would have cost which would have brought in an extra couple of players and he blames the board for that. And um, they didn't see eye to eye on the transfer strategy going into the season. Obviously, they still haven't replaced Niall Quinn. And seven points from nine games, obviously, it's still salvageable. I, I tend to think, I don't know if there's a rule in NFL where you can't get sacked until a certain point in the season, but I think 10 games or nine would be whatever's a quarter, it's nine, isn't it? So. Nine, nine or ten games into a season is the lowest time you can, the quickest time you can sack a manager, legally yeah. should be for me. I mean, just this weekend we've had um, Wagner sacked by Schalke. So, I, mean, yeah. I thought it was uh, pretty harsh. What do you think about Peter Reid and Sunderland? Yeah, um, I, I think ultimately it's just a sign of a team and a manager going as far as they can do, given what they have, given the resources that they have and the players coming together at the right time. I think he is probably underrated for getting them back into the high division and then stabilising them, at least for a, for a while. Because um, even that can do a lot for a club, could do a lot, for a, a lot more for a club now if you do it. Um, but even then it was be respected and yeah I mean having good players is one thing but getting performances out of them is another so Quinn and Phillips one of the best striking partnerships probably ever in English football um, and he was key to that really I think if you look at a team like Burnley now and Sean Dyche it's a similar situation where he's got them up kept them up but ultimately have been done as much as they can, as he done as much as he can do, and is it now just uh, going to be downhill for Burnley like it was for Sunderland? I think probably. And Bournemouth so, for Betty Howe was quite. Yeah, similar. exactly. Yeah, yeah, and 
I think the best thing for a manager to do in this situation. I mean, although Peter Reid didn't go on to do anything spectacular afterwards, is probably to leave and try improve themselves because unfortunately, if we're at a situation where the team's not going to do much better, then what choice have we got kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's sad. It's not overly sad, but yeah, a good a good time for Sunderland that I think she'll look back on on more favourably than they might do, obviously, because it involves going down, but yeah. They would, um, they, those seventh place finishers were their best since 1955. Um, Peter Reid did, didn't do much after this, um, and Sunderland didn't do much after this really either. They'd uh, win two more games that season going down. Um, they'd had likes of um, Howard Wilkinson and Mick McCarthy come through the doors. Um, they beat Spurs and Liverpool at home, so that's, uh, you know, big teams at the time. Um, in terms of post Peter Reid, Sunderland. They were always there. They got re-promoted again uh, in 2005. Another shocker of a season. Another record points tally. They finished with 19 points in 2003, 15 points in 2006, and came up alongside another record breaker in 2007, Derby, who finished with 11 points. But Sunderland would stay up. They'd stay up for a decade. And sort of in the in that decade, what are your memories of Sunderland between 2007 and 2017? Are they a big club or are they just, you know, existing? Um, we have the constant debate of what is a big football club. I would say they are a big club, yeah, definitely. For me, it's 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 would it does it draw a player? I mean, especially a British player. I think anyone who gets enough to go to Sunderland respects it. Thinks Matty about Taylor. It. Yeah, but <laughs> well, maybe not Matty Taylor, but I mean, he went he went there. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, came up, obviously, Roy Keane had that little United old boys slash United yeah. loanies got thing going on, which worked for a while. And then later on, players like Darren Bentley, Catamol, good players, good team, capable of upsetting anyone on the day. I remember a few years um, just before, sort of, when... Um, Mourinho was at Chelsea for the first time and United were trying to keep up Sunderland upsetting them on a couple of occasions and became a bit of a bogey team for United so yeah I think good team not a divine right to be in the top flight but um, shame to see them as low as they are at the moment and yeah take over on the horizon possibly so hopefully yeah hopefully yeah I mean but We've seen that what three, four times now. We've all seen it on Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So is it just going to be another circus? Who knows? Hopefully not. Yeah, you can add. Yeah, very likable team, and like say for good reason because they've given us some good moments in the last twenty years or so. So yeah. G Dong Wong that goal against Man City in the last minute on bo- Boxing Day on New Year's Eve that were that were a class uh, class yeah. um, day but they, yeah they were just um, there they didn't finish higher than tenth and they were always skirting along relegation I mean there was that scene of on the lap of honour with uh, Sam Allardyce and his there ripping his uh, blazer off and he's going mental and it just shows what a good job he did because as soon as he left. It sort of went down a little bit, and then they would get relegated. They get relegated to the champ uh, to League One straight away. I think it was the first time in their history that they were in the third tier of English football. And yeah, it is a shame. Um, they will get back. I'm sure of it. I mean, your boy Phil Parkinson's manager at the moment. They 
I think Sunderland fans are a bit split on him at the minute, but yeah, I think well, he's a manager who could keep... get him up. Definitely. Is it while we go off this break? About Peter Reid's story before I wrap oh, go this on. up. Go on then. So you've not heard this, have you? But it came out quite recently. Um, I don't think because, I have. And um, when tributes were pouring in for for Laurie Cunningham on a recent documentary. Oh God! Um, oh, oh yeah! Oh God! Yeah. So obviously you've got <laughs> you've got top footballers and managers, etc., saying lovely, nice things, footballing things, and personal things about. Uh, Laurie Cunningham, but then upsteps Peter Reid with his favourite memory or most treasured memory of every man, which is I'll just read it out to you. I won't do a, an accent because no, please don't. <laughs> so obviously, if you said if you said the last guy said, "Oh yeah, great footballer, great man," you know, just a joy to be around, yeah. and then Peter Reid steps up with the first time I've ever seen big garlic king prawns in shells was Laurie or them in a restaurant and they had these king prawns and I remember saying to him, that looks great, can I try one? And then he peeled one for me and gave him one of his garlic king prawns. And that's, that's the tribute. <laughs> I, do, I do remember this, I could picture him saying it, oh God, yeah. I've we'll tweet that, that right out, to the back it's, yeah, it's yeah, worth yeah. to remind, remind people of that one. So we're going to leave the uh, comfortable inertia of the footballing world behind in a minute. But first, we've got the 2000s trivial teaser. Now, last week, we had a centre-forward. He'd been managed by Fabio Capello and Manuel Pellegrini. Some of his teammates included Thomas Graveson, Jonathan Woodgate, Kaka, Julian Draxler and Christian Fuchs. The first three from Real Madrid, the second two from Schalke. It was, of course, Raul. So... Yeah. I think you've, you've we've uh, the last few caught me out there, so I'm thinking Draxler, Fuchs, out. They're just too young. But anyway, yeah, Fuchs was a bit. Fuchs, Fuchs was a big one, a big Fuchs. Right. So this week, I think like last week, I've tried to make it a bit easier for you. So this week, we've got a centre midfielder. Two of his managers have been Paul Jewell and Martin O'Neill. And his teammates have been Ryan Giggs, David Dunn, Damian Duff, Emil Heske and Paul Dickoff. Have you got any clue about that one? I think you might. I will be damned if it's not. You've got it right. First one in Fury Weeks. <laughs> And what threw can, me off there, I, I forget that, well, he's, he's properly Welsh in there, so they, they, that he thinks he's Welsh, but he actually is Welsh. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's... So I thought, is he trying to be a trick question with gigs? A Welshman, potentially. And if you know the answer, let us know in the comments section or on Twitter. You could tweet us at YouTube at AlexJroad, at JakeDoyle93. We'll be back with a teaser next week. But first, we've got some more business to declare after this break. So, yeah, we're uh, sticking with football in a way with any other business this week. So something I get a kick out of 
you could almost say it's a bit of a fetish or whatever the non-sexual version of a fetish is because no fetish i prefer fetish <laughs> yeah we'll go with fetish and that's what you want is um football fans crying not not in happy ways just sad ways when they're heartbroken just yeah. grown men breaking down blubbering over sport um whether it be relegation losing a cup final missing out on promotion missing out on winning the league it just it just amuses me for some reason and i'm not really wide like that but it really does just <laughs> warms my heart a little bit and and like we're saying this we we both love football um yeah and we're both yeah, quite so. partisan to our yeah. teams so it's not like we're neutral really in any sense but and i've been there when we play our final see my team lose to go to the championship with a very controversial goal um in the dying moments of the game but I, I didn't ever feel like i was going to cry so when i see like the leeds documentary on amazon and then obviously after series one they're all crying because of the uh, missed out on promotion but like mm. oh that but i think that is the prime example for me because leeds yeah missed out but obviously next season we're going to do as good if not better yeah. So just take optimism from that. You know, your team could be Bury, you could be Macclesfield fans who probably won't see club. their teams yeah. play again. So, promotion, missing out know, on promotion or missing out on promotion, missing out on um league titles or anything like that, that is a bad reason to be crying because you're at the top of yeah, exactly. the bit that you're in of football. I mean relegation is obviously Relegation loses people's jobs. It, you know, it loses people money. You, is that why people are crying though? No, they're crying because they're not in the Premier League or they're not, uh, say, you know, it probably a harsher jump uh, drop down is from League Two to the non-league. But yeah, it's like the yeah. one famous yeah. one I can remember is that Leeds fan when they lost at Bolton in 2004 and I was laughing my head off. But, you know, it's... <laughs> It's Cameron. We're missing that at the moment, aren't we? With um, no fans, and we missed that last season. We are missing that. We didn't Imagine. get to see, you know, teams go down and fans crying because. I mean, the, another famous one is Brazil seven-one. I mean, the shock of it maybe it's justified, but you know, World Cup semi-final yeah. and you're crying about the result. I mean, yeah. as as a the only time I've cried at football. I think. Well, my was, question to you was. Um, um, Aguero, did that get you close? No, I was too, I was too old by that point. <laughs> yeah. um, I, it was probably the closest I've been in a while. Um, that was, I remember that exactly because I remember I'd missed the first 30 minutes because I was working and I came home and they were both winning and I thought, oh, it's over in it really. And then you get that little bit of, you that little crumb of comfort that you might, that you might, um, you might succeed and win the league, but again, it's it's winning the league, so it's like, yeah. But like the only time I've cried about football was Champions League final in '99, and we're losing. Yeah, and it's like 85 minutes in, and I'm like going, ah, oh. because at, at that point, well, as well, was, you were a child then, so I think. Yeah, well, um, yeah, yeah. I was. Any exception for me, like if you're a child, you don't think, oh, in five years we'll probably win it or get another chance. You're just yeah, thinking yeah. about that there and then. And that's all that matters. Well, it's specifically, I've, adults for me. Yeah, I'd only, um, I'd only 
that was my first season watching football. Like I caught the '98 World Cup, and I remember that. And I, I was probably a bit too young to realize, you know, the England Argentina one. I don't think I, don't, I didn't cry at that, um, but I was crying for you know losing because I supporting a club team. I'd just tacked onto United probably right at the start of the season, probably because of Beckham. Um, yeah. And I had only experienced a few losses. <laughs> so, you know, I was I was very naive as a six-year-old. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe, I've never come close. The, maybe that's the argument, though, like... Naivety. Yeah, maybe, but maybe, I don't know, like, mentioned, obviously, Bradford City lost in the League One playoff final. And... That really has been a sliding doors moment for the club, so they've only gone downhill after that. Whereas if mm. it went up, Stuart McCall, a good core of players, they could have really stabilised the Championship club. Um, Might have got to the Premier League. No, no, I'm not going to shout that, but they could have stabilised <laughs> themselves in, in, uh, in the Premier League, in, in the Championship. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, and then I, I, maybe yeah, I just yeah. became numb, and that's why, like when we got relegated a couple of years ago, I didn't. it really didn't phase me at all, but maybe I just yeah. became numb. And it's the expectation, but yeah, I think it when it when it's a club like Leeds who yeah, okay, yeah, they've had they've had some bad times in the last ten years or so. But it was clear last season, well the season before last Dude, when they lost, yeah. that that they were gonna be back there next year, mm, doing better yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. So And they yeah. did. So I mean I like I say, I don't get the promotion and you know Winning all the time and then losing. Obviously, I've just described my only crying story. But you know, as, a, as an adult, I've probably never come close to it. Because I mean, I, the only time I've really come close to that sort of thing wasn't even. It was more when Ferguson left. That was more of a like, ah, oh. yeah. Because <laughs> obviously, as a Man United fan and being the age that I am, I've only been only known Ferguson. And I was at the, I was in the stadium for when he did his speech at the end. So it was a bit more, you feel a bit more of a connection than watching it on the telly. But even then it was, it, you're still not really, I got told to cheer up in um, Manchester Piccadilly station from a couple of city fans when we just got beat off city in on Monday night football or whatever. Cause he said, Oh, cheer up. You'll win the league next week. And obviously the Monday after they won the league. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. So he's, don't, you know, don't, be, not, don't be spoiled, basically. I think. Yeah, don't be crying yeah. at football results as a young, as a as a fully grown human being, <laughs> like you know. <laughs> we should do a Twitter poll just simply: Is it ever right to cry at football? Yes or no? And I think, no. I mean, even thinking England does that count if you get upset? Or, but semi-finals when we should have won the World Cup last year before last. Even well. Then, <laughs> I wouldn't because I knew we'd get beat in final, so it, it wasn't yeah. too bothered. But that was probably the closest I'd come in a long, long time. That probably Ferguson, Aguero, Croatia. <laughs> it's probably, but then again, I was in a pub and tanked up, so I wouldn't have cried anyway. Yeah. That's, and I'd say with a Fergie one, it's like that's more of a that's an exceptional thing, it's, and it's more of a human thing than crying yeah, at a football game. Yeah, so. yeah I suppose. Yeah. Right, so that's all we've got time for today on episode 12 of the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. Next week, I'm going to look at Petacek's skull injury. And what are you going to look at for us? Sally doing a deep dive special 
in through the life of times of uh, Jimmy Ballard. Is he just a clown who, because of that, we see as a better footballer than he actually was? Or is he genuinely a good footballer? We'll find out next week. Yep, and elsewhere on the channel, we're going to be looking at Euro 92 Inter Milan, Lionel Messi, the Hungarian Revolution, managers of the 1990s and FIFA 97. I'm at whatif underscore YouTube, got it right this time, and you're at Alex J. Rhodes. Thank you for listening and watching. We'll see you next week. Bye. Network. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.